politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and taxpayers to the Conservative Review podcast for an exciting new week here at our Northern Command Center. And yes, I am recording a little bit more of a a casual uh, setting here, um, a little bit early for Monday's show. It's still the weekend for me here. And I will be out Tuesday, so we will miss one show this week, but we'll certainly guarantee a full week thereafter. And sorry, I've been a little bit in and out. Well, we will definitely get back to normal scheduling later this month. Um, But, you know, I've been chomping at the bit to get back in front of this microphone, which is why I'm actually recording still with my kids around, you know, on Sunday. Everything we spoke about with our guest Josh Hammer on Friday about the courts, literally the minute I hung up with him, there was just a judicial assault, a barrage of insane court cases that proved every point we mentioned. So there's that going on. There is McAleenan finally getting pushed out. Great news. Opportunity to get in our friend Ken Cuccinelli as acting DHS secretary. Very important. There's so much going on. And, you know, I was thinking here. As we uh, as we kick off a new week and Congress returns from its two week break. And Republicans ponder an agenda, which they don't have much of. Instead, all they care about is the Kurds, the Kurds, the Kurds. And we'll we'll talk about that as the week develops, what's going on with Turkey. And, you know, I still think there is a major opportunity with the media on the left suddenly being anti-Erdogan. Let's embrace it. Let's ban Erdogan from this country, ban him from funding the Muslim Brotherhood, go after Care and Ikna and Isna, all the groups that he supports. I mean, that's what a party does when they actually believe in something. They push the envelope. They do everything they can to push winning issues. One of the things I find amazing is that, you know, in in the past, throughout the times, throughout the history of governance, statesmen were confronted with the vexing quandary of putting what's right ahead of what's popular. Right. That, that, that happens many times. It applies to many public policy issues where the right thing is not exactly what's popular. Ironically, Republicans are now confronted with the allurement of doing what will give them more money from donors in the face of what is both right and popular. So in other words, you have issues where whether it's crime and illegal immigration and the transgender agenda, all this stuff, the majority of the public doesn't want it. We know that. So if you had a true alternative party to the Democrats, an alternative competing vision to what the radical, radical alt-left is putting out now, you could actually have your cake and eat it too. But what, what you don't have is the money. That is why as Republicans return from Congress, they're not confronting the sanctuary cities, the crime, all the cases we talk about, the border issues, the judicial supremacy, where these radical courts are ruling that that there's a right for people to sue a border wall and there's a right for people to come into this country and access welfare. Nobody wants that. And 
Congress has such an opportunity to fight this every step of the way, at least the Republican-controlled Senate. But they don't respond to anything other than what their donors are putting out. One of the things I thought was very interesting, if you speak to your average Republican, whenever the rainbow jihad, the ABCDFG um, sexual alphabet soup comes a knocking at their door, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm scared. It's a losing issue. Uh, whatever you want, Democrats, we'll give to you. And, and they will not talk about it. They think that somehow the majority of people in this country think a guy with a yin and a yang between his you-know-what is a woman. So what's interesting is there's an article out at Breitbart last week. I just, I've been meaning to share with you. Some of you might have seen it. A poll that was taken of the Kentucky governor's race. Matt Bevin, the sitting governor, he's gotten, a, gotten himself into a lot of um, hot water. He had, he's just made a lot of enemies. It's very complicated. No one in the legislature really likes him. He doesn't have too many, he doesn't have many allies among fellow Republicans there for various reasons. And there was question about him struggling with his reelection bid. Uh, Kentucky is one of those states that holds elections in an odd year. So their election is um, later this November. And he's one of the few candidates that actually attacks the cultural, the left wing cultural warriors. He did this. Um, he did this, I believe. Well, yeah, it was four years ago or three years ago it was last time around. And, and you know, people thought he was going to lose. Remember, the polls had him losing and he won. Well, there was a group that ran an ad um, for Be Bevin about men competing in girls sports. It was called the Campaign for American Principles. And they took a poll and they found that after they ran that ad, hitting the transgender agenda, they basically say all any athlete wants is a fair shot in competition to play by the rules, to show how hard work pays off and how champions are made. Um, you know, why, why, why don't we play it here? We're going to play the ad right here um, from the Campaign for American Principles. Take a listen. All female athletes want is a fair shot in competition. At a scholarship at a title, at victory. What if that shot was taken away by a competitor who claims they're a girl but was born a boy? Andy Bashir supports legislation that would destroy girls' sports. He calls it equality. Maybe, but is it fair? Vote against Andy Bashir. He's too extreme for Kentucky. So that is an ad that should run all the time. It should run in all 50 states. Republicans should have a legislative agenda in the states and in, in the Senate speaking to that. And if you talk to most Republicans, they will tell you, oh, that's a losing issue. We can't touch that. But guess what? Um, Breitbart points out a new poll was taken and they found an eight point swing in Bevin's favor since running that ad. And I think most of you watching that will recognize it's common sense. Yes, the cultural rock gut has taken its toll on our society. 
And I think a lot of people are more socially liberal than this audience would be. But nobody wants that agenda, at least not yet. And, that, and that's the thing. When you really believe something, you push the agenda. See, Democrats don't have a problem with a broken political barometer, political thermostat, because they know what they believe in. They push everything they believe in, whether it's popular or not, and they get an idea of what works and what doesn't work. Our side won't even try to push a winning agenda because they don't believe in it. When I say our side, I mean the phony Republican Party, which um, certainly does not properly uh, reflect what conservatism is. But just, just so you know, an amazing article I want you guys to see, and a very well done um, to the Daily Caller for putting this out. Companies push liberal social agenda at Supreme Court. So as we talk about the Supreme Court, it's important to understand what has happened to the Fortune 500 companies in America. They have become the enforcers of cultural Marxism. Coalition of brand-name Fortune 500 companies, trade associations, and tech giants have intervened in a pair of marquee Supreme Court cases urging the justices to rule for liberal social positions. The businesses filed amicus briefs, it's friend-of-court briefs, asking the justices to declare the pre that President Trump's bid to rescind DACA is unlawful. <laughs> his, his attempt to undo Obama's unlawful amnesty is unlawful, and that Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act protects the transgenders. Signatories to the briefs include Amazon, Best Buy, Cisco, Facebook, Google, Hilton. Um, and they got involved. Chamber of Commerce is getting involved. 143 businesses have submitted an amicus brief on behalf of DACA, the illegal immigrant amnesty. That is how much in the tank they are for amnesty. So when it comes to issues like crime, when it comes to issues like the border and criminal aliens, transgenderism, there is such a gulf between the elites and the people. Among the people, even most Democrat or registered Democrats don't want that. But when it comes to the elite level, even Republican donors, and some of these companies give to both parties, they're all in the tank for this stuff. I mean, this explains American politics really in, in, in one narrative. I mean, if you want to know why we are where we are as a t country, re-listen to the First 10 minutes of this show. That's what it is. Most people, the silent majority, want sovereignty, security, a stable civil society. Um, but when it comes to the pocketbooks, pocketbooks of what is purveying the candidacies of both Democrat and Republican politicians, they're all monolithic, and they're all monolithically against the silent majority. So I thought that was pretty amazing. Just um, and take a look at this article at the Daily Caller. We'll link to in show links, um, show notes. It's it, it just truly unbelievable. Truly unbelievable. And by the way, just one more note on that. Just how far the elites are. Um, the American Conservative Union Foundation for Justice. The American Conservative Union is the organization that puts on CPAC every year. Supposedly, the conservative 
conference annual get-together of note. Here's what they put out on Friday on Twitter. I just happened to see this. ACUF for justice. And remember, I mean, this is what Matt Schlapp runs this organization. His wife, Mercedes Schlapp, is a top communications person in the White House. Criminal justice reform is a moral issue that we conservatives need to own. So, I mean, the exact opposite of what we, what we say on the show. Now, I believe we need to own the morality of criminal justice reform, meaning locking up violent criminals. But they don't mean that. They mean letting out more criminals is the moral thing to do. This is what you have. Top conservative organizations are now saying that Soros's number one agenda item is morality. So who needs conservative organizations wasting donor money if what Soros is doing very ably with a lot of money is considered the moral agenda? This is what I don't understand. But this is how broken the Republican and phony elite Washington, D.C.-centric conservative movement's political barometer is. What's a winning issue they think is a losing issue. What's a losing issue they think is a winning issue. They think that the public wants open borders, jailbreak, criminals let loose, transgenderism, hence the Koch agenda. But ironically, it's the opposite. The reason they think this to be true is because the reality is that's where they get all their money from. But I'm just saying in the real world, the American people don't want this social transformation. They don't want this garbage. I mean, could you imagine if Republicans came back with an agenda on sanctuary cities? Let, let, let me just read the latest case I have for you. Every day, there's another case at a King County, Seattle area where they have the worst gang members um, that have endless convictions or arrests and they just let them go and they go on to commit murder. So remember last week we, talk, we talked about this case there where you had this gang murderer that was arrested like four times. ICE put out detainers. They denied it and let the guy go. And this guy was resettled as a UAC, an unaccompanied alien child. We treat them like refugees. We are paying for the rope to hang ourselves with. We're bringing in violent Central American teens that are fueling the ranks of MS-13 literally since 2014. That is, I mean, you could plot it on a graph. That's when the Central Americans started coming. And there is an emergency for Congress to deal with this UAC issue. So here we, we got another case. Same week, another case. ICE tells me this guy, Carlos Orlando Areta Vega, a citizen of El Salvador, is in the United States illegally. And he was resettled as an unaccompanied alien child. September 2016. He was um, sent to custody with a family in uh, Clinton, Texas. Okay. On January 5th, 2017, ORR released Vega on an order of recognizance to reside with a family member on February 15, 2017. And it must have been in the Seattle area. Um, and again, remember, most of these family members are themselves illegal. And yet Republicans had a provision in the February budget bill that they signed off of and that President Trump signed off on 
to invite illegal aliens to sponsor these gang punks and therefore they themselves get amnesty as a reward and we don't have there's no effort from republicans to uh address this when they come back but anyway on november 8th 2018 kent police department it's a, it's a locality in in uh king county arrested Ira- arietta vega on local charges they didn't tell me what it was and i didn't have time to look it up ice encountered him the following day in the king county jail lodged a detainer five days later they released him without notifying ice okay Literally, he was arrested the same day he was released by Burien Police Department, another town over, and booked into the South Correctional Entity in Des Moines, Washington, for driving under the influence. So this guy is arrested, let out, same day arrested for DUI. And Do you know how dangerous that is? We have illegal aliens that we could have caught, could have gotten out of the country, let them go, and he commits a DWI. And, and as you know, this is an epidemic beyond belief among the illegal alien population. Again, I, I just have a friend um, who, who who was just killed in a you know car accident. Someone just just ran her over as she was crossing the street right in front of her home on a side street. It wasn't a drunk driving case, but, but I'm just saying we have so many tragedies that take place on the roads with either you know with cars and pedestrians getting hit certainly the at a minimum what we can do from a public policy standpoint is not import an entire foreign population that is prone to doing this and and driving drunk but anyway even after he was arrested the second time that very day you you might think all right this time they're like look this guy's a live wire we're gonna give him over to ice nope um ice lodged a detainer and he was um He was let go right away. Then, this year, on August 24th, Fega was again arrested by Burien Police Department and booked for another DUI and other charges. And he was released. And then finally, last week, on October 8th, he was arrested um, for a gang homicide where they basically butchered someone in a park, as has been the custom. Um, and October 9th, Odd Ice lodged another uh, detainer, which thankfully he's being held on two million bond. Often they're not. So hopefully that won't be needed. How hard is it for Republicans to talk about this? Really? But the, you will never hear these cases read on the Senate floor. I have enough material just from what I have for every Republican to spend endless hours on the Senate floor talking about these cases of illegal aliens that are violent and dangerous as anything being released by sanctuary cities and they could push legislation, nothing. All they're concerned about is we need criminal justice reform or... um you know, whatever their donors want. And, and, and that is the lesson. Republicans don't know what is a winning issue because they only do what their donors tell them and their donors are so out of touch <coughs> with the average human being. 
But I want to get back to the courts. So a lot of people, and, and I, I admit I have trouble articulating this to people because they don't understand. They're like, what do you mean? We have all these Supreme Court justices. Trump appointed, <coughs> Trump appointed so many lower court judges. Aren't we winning the courts? And I keep telling people the problem is the capacity of a good judge to do good is nowhere near the capacity of a bad judge to do bad. And as Josh spoke about, and Josh went through this system of the conservative legal profession, you know, he told us very clearly there are very few people like Clarence Thomas in the system. <clears throat> so even if they're good, they're not as emphatically against what the liberal judges are doing in the system. One of the points we made on Friday's show was that even if the Supreme Court rules the right way, there's no stigma against lower court judges being more progressive than the Supreme Court. So here is one of the biggest ironies that I've dealt with my entire life fighting judicial supremacism. And that is every time we suggest, as Abraham Lincoln did, that the legislative and <coughs> executive branches follow the Constitution and the statute the way they know it to be true, irrespective of what the court says. They're like, Daniel, are you suggesting that the president defy the Supreme Court? Well, even though it's the Supreme Court that's defying the law, like, you can't do that. Well, guess what? In comes lower inferior courts and say, hold my beer, hold my beer. We're going to we're going to reject the Supreme Court. So what's funny is the one entity that you could possibly say is bound by the Supreme Court rulings are the inferior courts within the judicial branch of government. The other branches of government are independent governments. And the same way you're going to tell me <clears throat> that the um, Supreme Court is not bound by the way the other two branches act. Well, the other two branches certainly aren't bound by the way, you know, they rule. But the lower courts, you think well, it would ironically what the president and attorney general and Congress has refused to do in Republican hands for 50 years, lower courts from the left wing perspective have no problem doing. So literally within 30 minutes, three courts came out and said Trump cannot enforce the public charge law of 1996. I mean, well, it's really been in place since colonial times on a federal level since 1891. Um, but in this iteration, it, it, since 1996, and um, all they're doing is, and they're not even fully enforcing it. There's a lot of welfare programs you could take. Remember, according to current law, nobody could become, get a green card. And actually, they're deportable if they are a public charge in any way. If they are in any welfare program, Trump's rule actually makes a lot of exceptions, very generous exceptions, children and women, pregnant women on Medicaid, um, school lunch programs, all sorts of things uh, that are exempted from it. It's very it's a very modest implementation of a much larger law and three judges, one in Western Washington, one in California and one in is it New York? Um, says, nope, just like that, you can't do it. So first of all, I think we now see there's nothing mechanical and legal about what goes on in the court system. It's political. 
They coordinated this. You had three different courts come out within a half an hour on Friday. Give me a break. Now, a couple of things here. A court has as much power to say that as I do, as you do. A court can't give standing. Foreign nationals don't have standing. I mean, this is long settled Supreme Court precedent that illegal immigrants or even legal immigrants can't. There's no standing in court to sue for a visa or a green card. That's up to the discretion of the executive branch. You have no standing for that. But moreover, in this case, the states, like the state of New York, got standing. How could a state get standing to demand that the feds bring in more immigrants and give them welfare? How could... I mean, it's, it's insane. The answer is they don't have such standing. If you think about it, the entire purpose of moving from the Articles of Confederation to the constitutional system was to give the feds control over who we let in. And now we're saying the states have control to go to a federal court. I mean, it is insane. And again, I want to tie in to this. Many of you are texting me, emailing me um, questions about, oh my gosh, McAleenan is gone as DHS secretary. Who should be the person? It's obvious it should be Ken Cuccinelli. Because Ken, among other things, first of all, I believe he's earned it. He has demonstrated not just the fact that he's gotten results, but he's been a voice. You watch him on Twitter. He's been a voice for our cause. But also, Ken is a lawyer. And he understands litigation. And he is the only one willing to fight judicial supremacy. Um, he is, I, I could believe me, I could tell you, he is very good on this issue. Um, he is the only one who gets it. And I wish the attorney general would be this aggressive, but but it would help if he were to be DHS secretary, because the most important assault on our sovereignty and on immigration law is coming from the courts. And again, I want you guys to understand a lot of people are saying, Daniel, we need to fix the laws. What do you mean fix the laws? It's the courts. The courts are saying you can't implement longstanding law. I mean, so there is no possible law you could pass to prevent the courts from engaging in civil disobedience against Supreme Court precedent, against the law, against the Constitution, against everything. But again, a district judge can't say, you must give green cards. You don't have that power. I mean, they have as much power as I have power to say, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg must, uh, you know, take off uh, time from the bench for Jewish holidays, which she doesn't do, by the way. And that's her business. That's fine. I'm just saying she touts herself as, you know, very Jewish and this and that. Um, she's really a pagan, but that's a different story. I mean, I, I they have as much power as I have power to say Trump has to meet with me every Sunday morning to discuss my policy initiatives. Imagine, imagine if I were able, if I were to take Trump to court and say he's not listening to me, and a court would issue an injunction on Trump not inviting me to the White House. I mean, that, that's what's going on. It's mentally ill. And one of the judges actually 
made a whole like quip about Ken's comments, Ken Cuccinelli's comments about the Emma Lazarus poem. How does that have a place in legal writing? And then at the same time, this is really rich. You had a Western Texas judge. So yes, even after Trump appointing all these judges, even in a place like Texas, we have wacko judges. It all, the left only has to win one time. So they just throw a bunch of things. And as long as they win one time, we say they win. So what happened was, basically, this judge in El Paso, El Paso, an organization, a random organization, sued the border wall. How do you get standing? They said it, 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 it gives off, it evinces this image that's unwelcoming. It makes El Paso look unwelcoming to have a wall there. How is, it, how is that a valid case and controversy, controversy enough to trigger a valid exercise of judicial power? A court can't just rule on anything. But there's a bigger issue here. I know some of you are probably jumping out of your seat. Daniel, didn't the Supreme Court just rule on this? You had in, in California, Ninth Circuit, district judge, first district judge, said Trump can't use the military DOD funding for a border wall. Put an injunction on it. The Supreme Court took off the injunction. It was seven to two. It wasn't even along partisan lines. Hold my beer. It doesn't matter. This is a slightly different case in a different area. No, catch me if you can. This is why we will never win the game. Now, the answer is not appoint better judges. We are already doing that. It doesn't help. The answer is to say that these courts have no power, have the attorney general articulate why they have no such power and you follow the law you do what's right as an independent branch of government there is no shortcut if we are going to indulge every act of civil disobedience again listen to the irony we're saying the supreme court is supreme over the other branches yet we're going to force the other branches to listen to a lower court's violation of the supreme court <laughs> I mean, it's mentally ill if the administration is going to abide by this. If they're going to do that, I, I, I have no way of helping them. They're completely, completely screwed up beyond belief. So um, just wanted to, to, to get through that today because some of you might think that Josh and I were a little bit too pessimistic. Actually, ironically, I think Josh was too optimistic. <clears throat> And by the way, Josh rarely misses a show. So, um, you know, he'll be listening. Hey, Josh, I think you were too optimistic. Because remember, he said that he thinks that we might get a positive ruling on these nationwide injunctions. Here's why I disagree. It sounds like a very simple issue, and it should be. But like everything in court, it gets very complex. What type of universal injunction in what sort of case? What's more like a class action, meaning even if you get a favorable ruling, it's not going to be a clean sweep. And it, maybe Clarence Thomas will write it that way, like 
this undermines the judicial power. There's no such power. It's unconstitutional. But that's not what's going to happen here. You're, in order to get five votes, you're going to have to get Kavanaugh and Roberts to agree, and they're going to write some sort of a chicken. Well, in these circumstances, it doesn't work. Maybe in others, it does. So what's going to happen is every case, these radical judges will just say, well, this is one of the ones where we could put an injunction. And you know what? Even if the court ruled categorically, what do you think's happening on immigration law? They don't listen. Again, this is the funny irony. What Republicans have been so reluctant to do as president, attorney general, members of Congress against the Supreme Court, district judges from the left are doing overnight. Hey, screw that Supreme Court. If they want to go overturn me, let them do it. I'll come back again in another case and put another injunction on. That, my friends, is the profundity of why we will never win a game where we agree to the left's judicial supremacy game, albeit we think we'll just get our guys on the courts. Doesn't work. You can never get enough on in enough places to stop this game of heads they win, tails they win. It's a one-way street, and it's a dead end, and we need to fight judicial supremacism. So that's the deal with the courts. Now, today we're obviously discussing all sorts of winning issues, whether it's national security, whether it's going after MS-13 in sanctuary cities, uh, crime, judicial supremacism, the transgender agenda, and Republicans will never touch it because there is no money behind it, and all the money is on the other side. I want to go over one of these cases, and I got a lot of these. Every once in a while, I want to go through a case study, whether it's a jailbreak, a sanctuary case, or a, a terrorism case. And this is a case where you have a spouse of a Saudi student sentenced to 12 years for covering up attendance at an al-Qaeda training camp. So this obviously happened, um, the indictment was a little while ago, I think it might have been 20, maybe it was last year, 2018. Um, but he was just sentenced. So I thought this was an unbelievable case study of how even way after 9-11, we still have not closed the loopholes that directly led to 9-11. So obviously what our government tends to be very good at is looking retrospectively after we have attack A, they'll obsess about the mechanics of A and they'll never look ahead at the looming threats you know, the next things, because usually they don't repeat the same things. But what was unbelievable is that I didn't even know about this case. This guy, Naif Abaluzaziz Al-Falaj Yabadabadu, geez, can't pronounce these names. Um, this guy applied for a visa. He's from Saudi Arabia in 2011, 10 years into post 9-11 security regime. and. He was a spouse of a foreign student. So it's an F2 visa. It's not even, I mean, the student visas are a huge loophole. Spousal visas in general are a huge loophole. You put the two together, this is a spouse of a uh, foreign student, almost no vetting. And it turns out this guy trained at the Farouk, the Al Farouk, training camp in Afghanistan, um, the Al-Qaeda training camp, where the 9-11 hijackers uh, trained. He came in here, and then based on that visa, 
he applied for flight training in Oklahoma. I mean, this is what we're bringing in. Now, luckily, the FBI caught him and it worked. The system worked here. But how many others is the system not working for? We have about 45,000 Saudi foreign students in this country. And then, so the thing is, the reason why these are such security threats is because there's no caps or limits. Basically, if you're wealthy enough to afford it, then you get it. Now, you could imagine a spouse of a foreign student is going to be even less vetting. And basically, the FBI got lucky. They had a document that was recovered. It was random how they caught him. It was more like overseas stuff than here. Um, basically, the U.S. military caught, found the Al-Qaeda safe house in Afghanistan. And they found his fingerprints on documents there that included emergency contact number associated with Al-Falaj's father in Saudi Arabia. But the point is, th these are the people we have coming to our country. We always talk about, out of the tens of thousands of foreign students from the Middle East, we, we have about 150,000 a year, equal number of green cards. How many of them are jihadists? How many of them hate America? Maybe they won't be kinetic terrorists, but how many of them agree with the terrorists? A heck of a lot. But we're, this guy was a kinetic dude. He trained in the Al-Qaeda training camp where the 9-11 hijackers were in, and he was let in on a visa where he then goes and applies for um, flight training. I mean, this is just utterly insane. We need to clamp down. And, and, and guess what? Let me tie everything back together and come back to Turkey. Suddenly, the media is very, you know, bullish against her, hawkish against Erdogan. They're very hawkish against Saudi Arabia. For years, Saudis were the biggest terrorists. We needed to go after them, and everyone covered for them. Finally, you get MBS. I'm not saying he's the greatest guy around, but he's fighting the Muslim Brotherhood. Oh, we need to go to war with him. Well, here's the perfect way you jujitsu them into a winning issue. All right. Turkey's a problem. Saudi Arabia's a problem. Cut off visas from there. You can't have it both ways. If they're a security threat over there, certainly you bring them here, they're going to be a security threat. But of course... Marco Rubio and all these guys that, that claim to be so concerned, they're never going to push this. This guy got 12 years in prison. You wonder what's going to happen to him afterwards. And you wonder, who is this spouse? See, one thing I never hear about is um, mo most of the foreign students from there are actually males. This case, the foreign student was a female. He, he was the one who came in on a, a spousal visa. Who is she? Is she roaming free? Um, this, this is what we have. This is what we bring into our country. Now, I want to close just with one more story here from Borderland Beat. Uh, very important blog about the Mexican cartels, different happenings of what's going on there. And um, MS-13 members sent to Mexico to make the gang grow more. MS-13 tried to establish alliances with cartels in Mexico, witness reveals in the mass trial of more than 400 members of the Maras, which uh, resumed on Tuesday. 
Noah said that Maras was sent to Guatemala and Mexico to make the gang grow more and establish contact with the drug trafficking organizations. El Salvador on Tuesday began a mass trial in an anti-mafia court of over 400 alleged gang members, including 17 purported leaders of the Fear Transnational Crime Group, um, Mara Salvatrua, or MS-13, um, on charges of homicide, terrorist organizations, money laundering, and arms trafficking. And um, they go on to say that most of the suspects were arrested in 2018 when more than 1,500 special forces agents raided restaurants, bars, beauty parlors, beer halls, yada, yada. Um, MS-13 sought to establish alliances with the drug cartels of Mexico and Guatemala to smuggle, ban narcotics, and weapons. See, remember, MS-13 needs to make money for their operations, so they have to get in on the drug trade, too. And this is why the drug crisis took off circa 2014, the same time the MS-13 crisis took off, the same time the Central Americans started coming in, where you see drug trafficking, you see MS-13 and, and other gangs as well. Um, that's what it is. As, as I noted in my piece on, on, uh, on Friday on Ohio, which is one of the worst drug trafficking over, um, overdose states, 90% of the overdoses are illicit drugs. They're not prescriptions. Yet, they have all these Ohio lawsuits against Johnson & Johnson. It's all the cartels. All the cartels. And we quoted from uh, the U.S. attorney there that the cartels control every corner of it. But what's worse is that the MS-13 becomes a conduit. So not just for the general violence and criminal aliens that they produce, but also um, the, the, the drug crisis as well. So, um, you know, this is just it, it is a huge, huge problem, huge problem. And, you know, now we see their ties with the Mexican cartels more than ever. I'll link to that piece in show notes. Um, a lot more going on. I left on the table here. Uh, we'll see how this week develops. I'll be out Tuesday. but We'll be back here Wednesday. Send me your thoughts, comments, concerns, questions, or what you want us to cover. If you feel that a certain issue is flying under the radar, you can email me at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Please, please, please subscribe to our YouTube page at Conservative Review. Send this show to 50, 100 of your friends, family, and um, all your extended relatives. Everyone needs to hear the truth because, again, you know, we cannot have a, a full year just about this Ukraine impeachment stuff. We are losing our country. We are losing our sovereignty. The people are with us. But again, what makes Republicans tick? It's the donors. Why do you think you have all these foreign students from Saudi Arabia? It's the university interests. Our voices aren't heard. The taxpayers, the law-abiding, peaceful citizens, we are nothing. This show is not just entertainment. It is a movement to try to empower our voices. Um, and we're going to try to do that. And look, you know, one of the ways is getting Ken Cuccinelli in as DHS secretary. Um, I was honored to have him on for our 500th anniversary show. And we're going to have him back again, hopefully as acting DHS secretary. We'll see how that unfolds. More with the courts as well. Send me again any any stories you want me to cover. I can't I don't always have time. But um, you guys have helped me, and you, you know who you are. You've helped me with a lot of these stories more than you even uh, could imagine. So thank you so much for that. God bless, and thank you all for listening.